Father, we come now to the time to where we gather specifically uh, around the teaching of your word. And Father, your word tells us that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And so, Lord, we pray that all four of those things would take place uh, this morning. Ultimately, that we as Redbud Baptist Church may be equipped for every good work. That we may be equipped for our faithfulness to the gospel. That we may be equipped to love you with all of our minds, our hearts, our souls, and our strengths. That we may be faithful to uh, proclaim the gospel of Christ in accuracy and clarity. So Lord, we confess to you that outside of the working of your spirit and the guidance that your word offers, these things are not possible. So Father, we pray that as we sit here for the next few moments and as we look at your word, as we think about it, I pray that the words that come from my lips do no injustice to your word, but that they point all of us to a deeper faith and trust in Christ. That it points us to a deeper understanding of who Christ is and what He accomplished by His death and resurrection. Father, in all these things, we are absolutely 100% dependent upon Your Spirit. So Father, we pray that Your Spirit would work in our minds and our hearts this morning. That You would open up our minds to behold wonderful things out of Your law. Lord, that we may joyfully and willingly submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ through faith and the repenting of our sins. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Like I said before, we will be in Mark chapter 14 and 15, beginning in verse 43, going through the end of the chapter, and then the first 15 verses of chapter 15. Uh, I don't have a quarter with me this morning, but if I had a quarter, uh, and, and hopefully all of you know, have seen a quarter, uh, and that may be all that you have is a quarter in these tough economic times. But, the, but if someone, you, you've heard the expression, you know, two sides of a quarter, or two sides of the same coin. And if you ask somebody, what's on a quarter? Well, it really depends on what side they're looking at. The old quarters, if you looked at one side, you had the, the profile face of George Washington. And if you looked on the other side, before they started doing the different states, uh, you had an eagle with the wings spread. And so, but at the same time, you had two different sides to the same quarter. One side was one picture, and the other side was another picture. And depending upon which side you looked at, is what you would say, well, this is what's on the quarter. Now, this morning, as we look at the, the hours preceding Jesus' death, as we look at His betrayal and His trial before the, the high priest, and then His trial before Pilate, and His approach to the cross... There are multiple aspects of this story. And there are two specific things that we're going to be looking at this morning. And what we're going to see is that when you look at this story in one sense, we're going to see that the road to the cross was paved or made possible by our sins. So the road to the cross was made possible by our sins. But then when we flip the quarter and we look at it on the other side we're going to see that the road to the cross was for our sins. So a little bitty two-letter word and a three-letter word uh, are going to change everything. In one way, it's going to be by our sins, and another way, it's going to be for our sins. And we're going to look at how those things are different here in this passage. But the first thing that I want us to look at is how the road to the cross was made possible, or it was paved by our sins. 
And when I say by our sins, I mean that my sins and your sins here this morning. So what we're going to do first is we're going to look at the account of Judas. And then we're going to look at the scribes. And we're going to look at Peter. And we're going to look at Pilate. And we're going to connect ourselves to their story. And we're going to see that their sins and our sins are what made uh, opened up this road to the cross. Now in verses 43 through 50, we have this account of Judas betraying Jesus. Now earlier in the chapter, we were aware that Judas would in fact betray Jesus because Jesus uh, predicted this. But what's amazing is how when in chapter, in verse 43, when Paul Mark is writing this and he says that immediately while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came one of the twelve. So it's almost like Mark is driving into the heart the fact that this isn't just some random guy, but this is one of Jesus' twelve closest followers. The twelve men who have followed him through the three years of his ministry. One of them, Judas specifically, is going to betray his Lord Jesus Christ. And this word betray just literally means to hand over. And what we're going to see is that Judas handed over Jesus. The scribes handed over Jesus. And Pilate handed over Jesus. So this idea right here is that Judas is handing over Jesus Christ to the scribes. Now, was this a righteous act? Of course not. Why did Judas do this? Well, we don't know the specifics of exactly what was the motivation of Judas, but we know that it had something to do with money because he was willing to betray the Lord for money. He was given 30 shekels, of, uh, 30 pieces of silver. And then also we know that for some reason Jesus didn't line up with what Judas's idea of the Messiah should be. So Judas, at the very least, is being greedy. So you have this sin of greed that is working in the heart of Judas and is in some way motivating him to betray the Lord Jesus Christ, to hand him over. So here specifically we see the sin of Judas as being one of greed. Well, after Judas hands over Jesus to the scribes, we have the scribes in, 50, in verses 53 through 65, and Jesus comes before the scribes and he has this, this trial where the scribes, as we've seen throughout the Gospel of Mark, are not a fan of Jesus from the early parts of the Gospel. The Pharisees and the scribes have sought ways to rid themselves of Jesus, that they didn't like his message. They didn't like the fact that he was so popular. They didn't like the fact that he was saying that he had the power to forgive sins. They didn't like the fact that he was saying that he was the authoritative figure. They didn't like the fact that he said he was going to destroy the temple and raise it up in three days. And you can go on and on and on with this list. But the bottom line is, is they didn't like Jesus. And the root of their dislike for Jesus was not righteousness, but it was sin. And in fact, a non-believer, Pilate, as we'll see in chapter 15, even picks up on this. In, in chapter 15, in, verse, uh, in, verse, in the first verses, in verse 10, in chapter 15, it says that Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. So here we have this man, Pilate, who's not even a believer in Christ. He's not a follower of Christ. He's not a Christian. But yet, even in his own sinful state, he's able to perceive that the true motivation of these religious uh, religious leaders, the scribes, the high priests, the chief priests, the Pharisees, it was not a desire to keep 
God's Word pure. It was not a desire to keep the temple pure. It was not a desire to, to purify the religion. But as Pilate said, it boiled down to envy. That what was at work in verses 53 through 65 of chapter 14 wasn't a genuine pursuit of truth. But in fact, it was a genuine manifestation of envy. And that's why throughout this account, it says that they're trying to bring uh, witnesses, witnesses before Jesus. It says that in verse 55, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put Him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against Him, but their test- and their testimony did not agree. So here you have this trial that they can't find any witnesses to condemn Jesus. And in fact, the testimonies that they're having are contradicting each other. So if you had this trial going on in our judicial system, a fair and righteous judge would do what? He would declare a mistrial. He wouldn't even let the trial go any further. Or either the jury would unanimously say not guilty. But here, it's clear that the true motivation of the religious leaders here is not one of purity. It's not one of truly desiring desiring to find an unrighteous man and condemn him. But as Pilate correctly saw, the motivation is envy. So with Judas you have the sin of greed. With the religious leaders you have the sin of envy. And then you go to Peter in chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. Peter simply does what Jesus prophesies will happen. Earlier in chapter 14, verses 26 through 31, when Jesus, when Jesus is talking about He's going to die, and Peter says, Hey, I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. I will never deny you. Wherever you go, I'm going with you. And Jesus simply tells him, Peter, in fact, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And here, in the presence of a servant girl, the bottom of the totem pole in the life of Jerusalem at that time, you couldn't get any lower in society than that of a servant girl. Not only was she a girl, but she was a servant girl. She didn't have any respect from anyone. I simply asked Peter the question, Hey, aren't you one of those that follow Jesus? And Peter emphatically denies the fact that he has any association with Jesus. And in fact, he does this three times. And on the last time, it says that in verse 71, it says, But he began to evoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed. So are these righteous acts by Peter? Or are they sinful acts? They're sinful acts. Acts of unfaithfulness. Acts of self-love. So that Peter is loving his own personal safety more than he is his Lord. That he's not willing to even proclaim Christ to the face of a servant girl for fear of what might happen. So we have Judas in sin. We have the high priests and religious leaders in sin. Peter is in sin. And finally, we're going to see Pilate. 
And in this account, in verse 1, we see that the chief priests, they came and they, at the end of verse 1, it says that they delivered him over to Pilate. They handed him over. So Judas handed Jesus over to the religious leaders. The religious leaders have come and handed Jesus over to Pilate. And Pilate, in some ways, you, you see that he, he may be his well-meaning. Because he doesn't immediately condemn Jesus. And in fact, if you've got Pilate to come, uh, if, you, if you snuck him behind closed doors, you said, Pilate, now off the record, nobody's going to quote this, you know, you're not going to be quoted in the papers, tell me what you really think of Jesus. And Pilate would probably say something like, well, I don't know, he seems kind of crazy with some religious stuff, but he doesn't seem like he's done anything wrong. And in fact, Pilate says so much when he is offering to release Jesus instead of Barabbas, this hardened criminal. And in fact, Jesus, uh, Pilate actually asked the question in verse 14 of chapter 15. He says to the crowd, as they're screaming, crucify Jesus, crucify Him. He simply says, why? What evil has He done? So Pilate, again, is not a Jew. He's not a religious man. He doesn't understand all the workings of what's going on. And when Jesus says that He's the King of the Jews, that doesn't mean anything to Pilate. He doesn't understand the spiritual significance of what's going on. But he recognizes that in reality, this guy has done nothing evil. And so he asked the crowd, what evil has this man done? So Pilate in his heart knows that in a just system, Jesus should not die. Because he's committed no crime worthy of death. And Pilate knows that. But yet, in verse 15, it says that so Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd, release for them Barabbas. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd. So Pilate had the choice here. He could stand for truth as a political leader and as the judge of this case, and he could say, I find no guilt in this man, and I will not condemn him to death. Because the reality is that the religious leaders had no authority to condemn Jesus to death. They did not have the authority to kill Him. Because the conviction to die had to come from the Roman government. That Jerusalem sat ultimately under Roman rule. And capital punishment could only be carried out by the Roman government. So if Pilate had said, you know what, I don't see any guilt in this man, and therefore I'm going to stand with truth, I don't care what the crowd wants, that Jesus would not have been crucified. But, that's not what happened. Instead of standing for what Pilate knew to be true, he was a coward. He acted as a cowardly leader. Cowardice is a sin. Instead of fearing God, he feared man. He didn't want an uproar in the city. So he submitted to the pressure of the people. And as Judas handed over Jesus to the scribes, and as the scribes handed over Jesus to Pilate, Jesus, Pilate handed over Jesus to the soldiers for the purpose of being beaten, whipped, and ultimately crucified. And when you look at this side of the coin, 
all you see is sin. The sin of Judas, the sin of the religious leaders. Judas was greedy. The religious leaders were envious. Peter was a coward. Pilate was a coward. It's easy to point fingers and say, look, this is, you know, who's responsible for the death of Jesus? We say, well, at the very least, you can say Judas is responsible. His greediness betrayed Jesus. Or you can say, well, the religious leaders are responsible. Their envy led to his crucifixion. Or you can say, Pilate, his cowardly acts, sinful acts, led to the crucifixion of Jesus. And it's easy to point the fingers. But the reality is, if we are really honest with ourselves, how differently would we have acted than Judas? How differently would we have acted than the religious leaders? How differently would we have acted if we were Pilate? And we may be blind in some sense to our sin and think, well, I wouldn't have done that. But the reality is, is we've already done that. You may not have been present in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and you may not have been one of the 12 to have the opportunity to betray Jesus, but the reality is, you have done exactly what Judas has done at some point in your life. I have and you have. There has been some point in your life where you have not been faithful to following Jesus. That you have chosen greed over obedience to Jesus. That you have chosen your own purpose instead of Jesus' purpose. And there's been some point in your life where you have been envious of someone else. And there has been some point in your life where you have done exactly what Pilate did. Instead of standing for what you know to be biblical truth, you went with the flow of the crowd to avoid conflict, to avoid humiliation, to avoid an uproar. And if we're honest, we can give specific examples when all of us have done those things. So, yes, it is the sin of Judas. Yes, it is the sin of the religious leaders. Yes, it is the sin of Pilate. But yes, also, it is the sin of Corey. And it's the sin of William and of Carrie and of Joan and Jordan and Lee and everybody else in here that is responsible for paving the path to the crucifixion. There's an amazing verse in Acts chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. If you want to, you can. But just listen closely. In Acts chapter 2, this is after Jesus' resurrection. Peter is preaching to people in Jerusalem. And he gets to the end of the sermon, and notice what he says. He says in verse 36, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he's holding all those who are listening to Him responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. And so we think about what's the proper application and significance of this passage for Redbud Baptist Church this morning. I think the best application is saying this, but changing the words. And saying, saying Israel, we say, let all those of Redbud 
and White Level Community in Castalia. Therefore, know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So if Peter was here today preaching, I don't think he would change much. The only thing he would change, instead of saying Israel, he would say, know for certain Red Bud Baptist Church. Know for certain those who live in Castalia and White Level and Franklin and Nash County and Raleigh, wherever you live, he said, know for certain that the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, God has made Him Lord in Christ. He said, wait a second. I wasn't in Jerusalem. But you are guilty by association. I am guilty by association. And the association that we have is our sinfulness. So don't think for a minute that your sin and my sin is not in some way responsible for making the path clear to the cross of Christ. So in that sense we say, by our sin, the road to the cross was paved. By our sin, by my sin, and by your sin. You say, well how should we respond? Verse 37, and then when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So when you hear that, that your sin paid, paid the road to the cross, we should be cut to the heart. And the people said to Peter, says, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children, and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to Himself. So what is the proper response to the fact that we have paved the road to the cross with our sin, and that it is by our sin Christ was crucified? We should be cut to the heart. As Peter says, we should repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Every one of us. So we've seen that the cross was paid by our sins. But when we flip the coins, when we flip the coin and we see the other side of this story, we see that the road to the cross was made possible for our sins. So by our sins and for our sins. So how do we see this? If you remember last week, we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane and where Jesus comes before Jesus. I mean, when Jesus comes before God and He asks God to take this cup from Him. We said, if there's any way possible, take this cup from me, this cup of the crucifixion and suffering. But what did He say after that? He says, but not not my will, but Your will. So we see at that point in the garden that what did Jesus do? That He committed to submit Himself to what? To His will or the will of the Father? He committed Himself to submit to the will of the Father. And we see that throughout these passages. Notice what Jesus' response is. And if you know, remember when we opened our service, we read Isaiah 53, right? Where it was prophesying of Jesus to come. And one of the things it said about this Messiah to come, he said he will be like a, a lamb led to slaughter. It does not say a word. He's silent. Because he is submitting to what his shepherd is leading him to do. And that's exactly what we're going to see here. Notice what happens 
in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus betray, when Judas betrays Jesus, notice what happens in verse 49 of Mark chapter 14. It says, Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. He's talking to the religious leaders. He says, But let the Scriptures be fulfilled. So does Jesus resist arrest? Could He have run off? I don't know how fast Jesus is, but my guess is he, he could have ran for a little while. All the other disciples were able to run off. But Jesus doesn't run off. In fact, He knows they're coming. Because after the Garden of Gethsemane, after He's praying, remember He says, Behold, my betrayer is at hand. So He could have got up and He could have left them, but He didn't. He remained silent. Let the Scriptures be fulfilled. And then when He is before the religious leaders in verses 53 through 65. Notice what it says in verse 61. As the high priest stood up in verse 60 and says, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these, what, what is it that these men testify against you? So the high priest suggests Jesus says, what, what do you have to say to all this? Verse 61. But he remained silent. And made no answer. He remained silent. And made no answer. What would I have done? I said, this isn't right. I'm an innocent man on trial. But Jesus, again, is submitting Himself to the will of the Father. Could Jesus have gotten out of this situation? I mean, this is a man who raised dead people from the grave. This is a man who cast out demons. This is a man who said to the oceans and the winds, Be still and be calm. And they obeyed. Could Jesus, Jesus have gotten out of this situation? Yes. He's the Son of God. But He remained silent. He didn't even give a defense for himself. The only question he answers is when the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? So basically, are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? And Jesus says, Yes, I am. And that's all I've got to say. So if I'm on trial for being the Son of God, I am guilty. But I'm not answering any other questions. And then we see the same thing when Jesus is before Pilate. In verse 2 of chapter 15, Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, You have said so. So again, are you the Messiah? Are you the, you the Son of God? Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, I'll answer that question. Any more? Not answer. In verse 3, The chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to me? See how these charges they bring against you? Verse 5. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. This is where you see the amazing side of the other side of the coin. On the one side, remember we saw that it was by our sin that Jesus was crucified. That Judas handed Jesus over. The scribes handed Jesus over. 
Pilate handed Jesus over. But when you see this side of the coin, we see that Jesus willingly gave Himself over. That Jesus willingly gave Himself for our sins. That in fact, the reality of the matter is not that Judas, in his greed, handed Jesus over. Or not that the scribes in their envy handed Jesus over. Or not Pilate, in his cowardice, handed Jesus over. But the reality is that God, in His love, handed Jesus over. God, in His love, handed Jesus over. And this is why it's so beautiful. This is what John says in chapter 10 of Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. And Paul writes in Galatians of the Son of God. He says, The Son of God who loved me and handed Himself over for me. So in this way we see that the road to the cross was made by our sins, but it was also for our sins. So it's, we call people to repentance. Each week, trying to stress the fact that Jesus died for our sins. And that's important. But the reality is, is we can't fully grasp the fact that Jesus died for our sins until we grasp the fact that He died by our sins. And we understand that it is by our sin, by my sin, by your sin, that there is no one here this morning that stands guiltless before God. That we are able to joyfully embrace the truth that Jesus died for our sins. That out of the love of the Father, the Father gave up the Son and as Isaiah 53.12 says, that it was his, his soul was given up in death so that the wrath of God may be satisfied. That God's people may be reconciled to Him. And that those who were once not His people may be called His people. Those who were once dead may be made alive. Those who were once unclean may be made clean. The unrighteous becoming the righteous. All because, ultimately, it was Christ who gave His life for us. So as we think about these things, does our heart recognize that it's by your sin that Christ died? That God holds you as responsible as He holds Judas? He holds you as responsible as He holds Pilate? He holds you as responsible as He holds the religious leaders. And that truth should cut you to the heart. And that the only proper response is what Peter said to the Israelites in Jerusalem following the resurrection. Repent and believe in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.